So this is like the the one time of year where what the weather is actually not complete shit for you guys, right? Or you is it a, just you have a bad impression fall. of Chicago? <laughs> <laughs> Guess who's back? Back again. Awesome's back. Tell a friend. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Idea Lemons Discover Your Inner Awesome Podcast. My name is Rajiv Nathan, aka Raj Nation. I'm the Idea Lemon co-founder and your show's co-host. And once again, back with me, I have Martin McGovern, aka Marty McFly, my co-founder and co-host. This is Discover Your Inner Awesome, the only show where you get to eavesdrop on conversations with entrepreneurs, artists, and musicians about the stories, the journeys, the struggles, but most importantly, the questions, the questions that help us better understand who we are, what we're doing, and how we can do it better. And guess what? We are kicking off season five today. I'm pumped, if you cannot tell. For our season five debut, we are with Srinivas Rao, host of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, founder of Unmistakable Media. And he is our show's first ever two-time guest. Back in season two, when we were on our road trip, we met him in person in L.A. for the first time and had him on our show and had a wonderful conversation. Since that time, he's become a good friend of ours and our mentor as well. And while he's the host of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast and founder of Unmistakable Media, he's now also the author of a new book that's out called Unmistakable, Why Only is Better Than Best. And trust me, when you pick up that book, you will not want to put it down. So, in this episode, we talk with Srini about the topic of mindset and behavior. Specifically, we explore the question, what is the relationship between mindset and behavior? Before we dive into our first episode of Season 5 with Srini, I want to extend an invitation to you to join our tribe of awesome people over at www.idealemon.com. Enter your email address. You will never miss an episode of this show, and you will be totally in touch with our message of discovering your inner awesome, building an amazing personal brand, and doing what you love. All right, let's dive into our conversation now with Srinivas Rao, author, podcast host, and CEO, and discuss what is the relationship between mindset and behavior. Let's listen in. Here's the thing, like mindset and behavior, you know, as, as Martin was saying, like often, you know, people have a mindset and the behavior doesn't align or they think they have a mindset and the behavior doesn't align. Um and, you know, no matter what it is that you're trying to accomplish, so much of it is based on the combination of mindset and behavior. Like, you can try to change habits, but if your mindset is, like, just kind of completely, you know, screwed up, uh, the habit changes don't stick. Um, I think the other other reason that it, it's, you know, heavily on my mind is because um, I, you know, dealt with periods of, of, you know, like, crippling depression where I, I couldn't even get out of bed in the morning or, like, you know, I just – everything seemed to be falling apart. Um, the thing is like, you know, mindset is critically important because, um, when the shit hits the fan, which it inevitably will, unless you're like, you know, sitting in a closet and not exploring the world at all. Like if you're going to do anything where you attempt to try something that has never been done before, the shit will hit the fan. It's just kind of part of life. And mindset is critically important for being able to navigate, um, difficult periods. Like it's just, you, you can't do it without it. I mean, and, and the thing is like, you know, you see people crack and, you know, um, when they do, like they, they make really bad decisions. Like the, the thing is like when your mindset is screwed up, uh, not only can you not adopt habits, but you make really, really stupid decisions, like without thinking about the consequences of those decisions. And I only know, cause I'm speaking about it through experience. Can you explain how you navigate, I guess, your own experience? You talked about the depression aspect and everything yeah. and how you navigated that and what went into that. Yeah. So I, I think the biggest one really is um, support, right? Like 
we have a big issue around all sorts of things, mental health saying, like the thing, the biggest problem with mental health, especially if you're Indian, um, is that like therapy is for crazy people, you know, I mean, let's face it, like there's a stigma around this and, and, you know, it's like, oh, put them in a mental institution, like, uh, there's something wrong with them or they're crazy. I mean, we just, you know, we, we all say that and we've probably one time or another said that about a friend or said that about somebody that we knew kind of. Uh, so I think the the big thing, really, in my mind, in terms of how you navigate difficult chapters, is support systems. Um, you know, and that can you know happen in a professional context, like seeing a therapist. Which you know, I, I you like. It's one of those things. Like I look at it now, and I'm like, you know, this is something that everybody should do at least once in their life. Um, it's kind of eye opening. Like it, it's it's like getting to ha- get it's it's like getting to look in the mirror. Uh, without any sort of biases, like, you know, you're going to get a very objective perspective on everything that's going on where, you know, somebody is is there to support you, but they're not going to sugarcoat it or bullshit things for you. You know, they'll kind of give you the reality of a situation. Um, and then, of course, the other one is, is you know, friends, uh, you know, like, I think often, you know, we, the natural temptation when you've gone through something difficult or when you're in a dark spot is to isolate yourself, right? Because you don't want to be around anybody like you, you kind of crave solitude, but at the same time, you need some semblance of community to, to get through these things, you know, so like friends make a big difference in all of it. And then I think, you know, it's, it's funny because we don't talk about the, the role that like, some of our basic health habits play in, in mental illness. So, you know, like if you look at the way you eat, um, you know, the way you treat your body, the way you exercise, all of that has a significant impact. So I'll, I'll give you an example. So, you know, this morning, uh, like, you know, the first email for our book launch went out and I'm sitting here thinking, God, I want to check email. I want to see what people are saying. And I'm, I, you know, it's like 7:55, which is normally the time I head to the gym. And I know that if I skip the workout, I'm going to feel like shit later today just for skipping the workout. Um, and I know if I do the workout, I'll feel like a million bucks. I'll be in flow when I come back. Like I'll, I'll sustain this sort of highly creative state um, that just makes me feel good. Uh, so that that's one component of it is exercise and, and food. I mean, I think we just we need to be more mindful of those kinds of things in the process of getting out of these sort of you know difficult chapters because. Uh, somebody told me, you know, a health coach that I interviewed once said, you know, the first line of defense um, when you hit a difficult path or a difficult moment is actually your body. Like that is one of the first places because that's in your control, right? You can fix that really quickly. Um, you can do things that make you feel good physically because I, I think how you feel physically is interlinked with how you're going to feel mentally. There's, they're just inseparable. And, you know, if you look at you know, uh, look at it across the board, across super high performers, like it's very clear that fitness and, and being physically fit plays a really big role, um, in their ability to do the things that they do. Yeah. And there's, so there's a couple things you said there. Number one is that first line of defense is your health. And I think that's huge because I just know in my own experiences of having ups and downs, um, actually particularly a couple of years ago when I was coming off of a breakup, like I just didn't even want to eat food, even though like, you know, your body needs food because it's been several hours since yeah. you've eaten anything, but you have no desire to eat or even feel hungry. And it takes a lot to like, even though, you know, you should eat and you don't want to, it takes right. so much willpower and energy to actually get yourself to the point of eating something. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. And even on the flip side, when you're really busy with things and when you're, when you are finding those states of flow or when you're, you 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 know started something new. I I notice for me I tend to skip meals and I'm just keep working, keep working, keep working. And then you get to like midnight and suddenly you realize you haven't eaten anything for like half the day. And and then it all hits you because you've finally taken a second to calm down. So I definitely feel like it's hard on on a lot of different sides when you're looking to fill the time and when you're also yeah. kind of like overwhelmed. Well, you know, Martin. I mean, the thing is, like, what hits you doesn't just hit you at the end of the day. It affects your subsequent days too, right? Like, it, it affects. The, like, I mean, anybody who's woken up with a hangover knows if you spend, you know, yesterday drinking a shitload, tomorrow is going to be pretty worthless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and even with that, and to what you were saying about, like, you know, like if I don't go to the gym, if I don't get my workout, if I don't surf, I'm going to feel like shit in the afternoon. So yeah. much of that too is like, what are you doing? to enable the next thing you can do and, and how yeah. is your environment or your, like what systems do you have set up that, in, that are enabling each other? Like, like for instance, with the drinking front, you know, obviously in the last year and a half, I've gotten super into yoga and have a daily yoga practice. And there are a lot of days where 
I, I have a choice to drink that night or not. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but I know if I do that tonight, I'm not going to wake up and do yoga tomorrow. And yeah. to me, the benefit of doing yoga outweighs the temporary, you know, high of, <laughs> of quote unquote getting high. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important to have, like, people will say like, oh yeah, I want to stop drinking or I want to, you know, not go out as much. But if they have nothing set up that gives them a reason to not go yeah. out as much or do whatever as much, then it's, it's almost virtually impossible to stop doing that habit. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, you have to replace it with something else. That's, that's really the big key, I think. Absolutely. I mean, uh, my birthday was on Monday and everyone's like, oh, are you going to go out Monday night for your birthday? I was like, that's going to make Tuesday really hard. <laughs> I took you out. Come on now. <laughs> no, I know. We were out, but we were out having uh, a healthy bit. Well, I mean, it's a burger, but. <laughs> with water. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was healthy. It was, it was a focused dinner. But yeah, it was one of those things where um, it's, it's the cumulative of everything yeah. you're doing on a daily basis. So it's like, it's not just about tomorrow. It's about you set up all of these things to domino effect that, you know, five, ten years down the road, you're going to have this type of a life. Yeah. And, and I think that's a really big piece to it all. So, uh, you know, I'll share something that I, I haven't talked about in an interview before. And I learned this from a uh, keynote speaker and a graffiti artist named Eric Wall. You know, we were talking about speaking. If you've ever, you know, do a Google search for Eric Wall on YouTube or a YouTube search for Eric Wall, and what you'll see is one of the most dynamic, like, engaging keynote speakers you've ever witnessed in your life. It's mind-blowing. And you know what? We'd talked about it. And he told me that the week before or the two weeks before a speaking gig, he trains for it like an athlete trains for a marathon or like a runner trains for a marathon. And that always stuck with me. So like the, the week or two leading up to a speaking gig, I don't drink any alcohol, nothing. Like, it, it, like I'm as clean as it gets until after I'm done with the talk. Um, and, you know, like I, I've like every time I've done this, I've noticed that the talk is just a thousand times better on the, than the times that I, that I haven't done it, you know, like it makes a world of difference, which is nice. You know, that's why it's always nice to be the first speaker in, in a situation where you're not stuck somewhere for three days. Um, but yeah, I mean that, that to me is one of those things it like, I've seen it impact every area of performance, um, in my life in some way, like tangibly, like I can look at it and say, okay, yeah, I did that better because, uh, of certain habits. So as we kind of think about all these things and we're talking about, you know, we're reaching our goals because of the behaviors that we set today. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also sort of the other side of it, which is uh, the things that we think about ourselves or the things that we hope to accomplish, but somehow aren't getting to. Yeah. And I think a lot of the reasons that we put these habits into place is to get to those places. Right. Um, but I'm kind of curious, what are some of the things that, because there, there's two sides to it. One is like, we always want to be growing and achieving. And then the right. other side is you need to stick to your lane. And yeah. just do what you do really well and stop worrying about like, oh, I also need to learn how to code today. Or I also need <laughs> right. to learn how to do Photoshop tomorrow. Like, oh, I also want to be a videographer and create a movie someday. And it's like, yeah. it's like what are you actually going to focus on? Like, there's the aspirations and then there's the reality of who I am as a person and what I should be doing today. So in my mind, the bigger word in that is focus, right? Um, like I, you know, I've gotten to work with you guys pretty closely over the last six or seven months. Um, and, you know, like you start to notice patterns when you see thousands of people doing what they do on the internet. Um, you know, 700 interviews, thousands of, of sort of case studies of people like, and focus seems to be this sort of superpower that so few people have, right? Because you brought up multiple interests and, the thing is that what I often see is nobody, people don't stick with something long enough to see it. Like they don't stick with a behavior or a habit or, or something, uh, or you know, the pursuit of, of a skill long enough for the aspiration gap to be bridged. Like the gap between who they are and who they want to be doesn't get bridged because they don't have the ability to put in the time. Um, and you know, the, the thing is there, there are numerous factors that play into that idea of being able to put in the time. In some cases, it's just, you know, financially or economically not possible. Um, you know, like here's the thing, right? Like I I look at not having kids, not being married, all that the truth is that those things all give you leverage, whether, you know, and, and that's the harsh truth about it. Um, like ha- not having those things in your life is definitely a major advantage when you're trying to do something that involves a lot of risk. 
Um, and so in, in that sense, like I, I, I'm mindful of the fact there are people who just can't do things like that mm-hmm. because it's not possible. But that being said, you know, like I, I look at this idea, um, something I wrote about recently, I said, you know, one focused hour a day. And so for most people, one hour a day is not a focused hour a day. It's one hour a day of switching back and forth between tweeting and Facebooking and Snapchatting and, you know, whatever the hell else is, is available to you. Um, and then trying to go back to the work that you're doing and you're like doing this constant task switching. And if, if you've you know read that book, Deep Work by Cal Newport, like this is the cognitive equivalent of being an athlete who smokes is what he said. And, I, and I, I've seen this in myself. Like I... I, the days that I don't log on to Facebook until like 11 o'clock in the morning, like for example, today I was like blocked from, you know, nine to 11. I had like five or six major things that I needed to get done. All of them are done now. Like after I'm done with you guys, I'm going to go drink a coffee and relax. I could go read a book. But like, the thing is that if I had actually given in to any of these sort of distractions very early in the day, they would have basically, you know, like screwed my day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and most people are like this because, like, they're on their phones all the time. All you have to do is, like, just walk through a damn airport and you'll see nobody's faces up. Like, they're all, they've all got their faces buried in screens. It's so, you know, I, I think focus is really the bigger sort of um, word of, of all the things that you mentioned. You know, focus is what bridges the gap between who you are and who you want to be. Well, and now that Pokemon Go is out, no one's head is sticking yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I finally heard about that yesterday. Like I kept seeing it in all the different like news sites. I was like, what the hell is this all about? And so I finally asked one of my business partners, like, you haven't you don't know? I'm like, no. And he explained it to me. I was like, oh, lovely. Yeah, I, I found a Pokemon in this uh in this podcast. It was uh it's a Jigglypuff. I haven't I haven't tried it yet, but now I'm tempted to. Yeah, me too. I I had just learned like what it actually was yesterday, and I'm like, ah, this is interesting. But I also see myself getting sucked in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, just I mean, in one way, it's good because it's getting people out into the world. But just like think about how much time we spend in sort of this virtual world, not actually interacting with human beings. Yeah. You know, it, and that's, you know, one of those things. So focus is, is is critically important. There's just no way you can bridge the aspiration gap without focus. I think with that too, and, and here's where our focus becomes tough, is when there's no structure to what you're yeah. doing, it's very hard to have focus. And, and usually, and you know, people always talk about wanting to break free from structure, but structure is a very good thing because it keeps you in line with something. And, yeah. and pursuing something um, like one of the things I have been struggling with over the last week, two weeks, just because now my work style is kind of like free flowing again um, in terms of opportunities I'm pursuing, working on IDLM and other things. It's, it's very much back to completely setting my own schedule, figuring out what I'm doing with my time. And that's when it becomes very and it has become very easy for me. Like I'll start something, I'll mm-hmm. check Facebook, I'll check email, <laughs> I'll go back to what I was doing. And then like the cycle continues yeah. And I, I honestly, I attribute that to, well, obviously it's a lack of focus, but I attribute it to, um, the fact that there is no structure in place to what I'm doing right now. Yeah. Well, and you don't know what the goal is that you're trying to hit at the end of the, at the end of the tunnel. That is well. So there's, there's, there's that. So, you know, I always say like repetitive, like a mechanic, spontaneous, like an artist, right? Now, if you look at sort of the structure, like, so people think highly creative people are living in this perpetual state of chaos. But the, the funny thing is, if you look at the most prolific creators, they live in a state of complete order. It, it's, it's there, the, there is almost no chaos. There's an immense amount of structure that enables them to do the work they do. Like their process is incredibly structured. What comes out of it, that's where the spontaneity is because if they, you know, there they allow room for spontaneity. Like I'm not rigid about what's going to show up on a blank page. I'm rigid about sitting down to actually write every single day. Yeah, and, and I will say even with that, um, where I have continued to be rigid is my morning routine of, of meditation. Uh, and that's something that, just, that hasn't gone by the wayside amidst figuring out everything else. So mm-hmm. I, I suppose it's a matter of how do I phrase it? It's almost like I still have something I'm falling back on that is keeping me at least partially in line with things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's a matter of how do I, I guess, extrapolate that further out into more hours in the day. Yeah, and that goes back to the habits we were talking about at the beginning because having we've spent years developing the, the sort of day that we want um, through our habits. And then when you do find those moments of less structure, you at least have your habits to fall back on. 
So like morning routines and all that stuff, that's for the highly productive days as well as the days that we're like, I don't know what to do. Um, at least you have something to, to anchor yourself. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, if you don't have something to fill blank space, the, the sort of natural temptation will be to fill it with pointless distractions because there's so many of them at your disposal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah, and there's only more and more that keep popping up every day. Uh, I think another part of this equation, too, like, well, actually, no, you know what I want to do is I want to explore this. So there's the relationship between mindset and behavior. Now, does mindset drive behavior or does behavior drive mindset? What do you think, Shrini? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, so it's funny because I, I think it can be both, right? Like for some people, like their mindset change will start to drive the behavioral change. But the thing is like, you know, like in a lot of cases you can sit around. So let's use the, the idea of visualization and affirmation and all this nonsense as, as a this like new age bullshit as one example of this. Right. Um, like there will people be people sitting around and they will like, you know, chant mantras and light scented candles and, you know, put crystals on their desk and, you know, they'll do all these things that a lot of people who are new agey who have written like amazing books do. And then they think that suddenly like magic is going to happen and, you know, words are going to show up on the page and, you know, things are going to fall from the sky because you're doing all these things around your mindset. So uh, what's funny is that if you actually start to adopt the behavior, the mindset will actually change on its own. Um, So like, you know, you don't, like, like you can, let's say you use, you know, the, my, my thousand word a day habit as, oh, okay, I'm going to visualize writing a thousand words a day. I'm just like, you'd be better off writing a thousand words a day <laughs> than visualizing writing a thousand words a day because, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of pointless. Like you're sitting there Whereas the, the sort of physical doing of it creates almost what is, what is muscle memory. Like, I don't have to think about this anymore. It's just what I do. Right. Uh, and so I, I think it largely like the behavior has to change first. Like, um, because you could try to change the mindset and if the behavior doesn't change, like if you start to see behavioral change, the mind will be like, okay, this is going to change. So like, okay, this is who we are now. So that's, I'm, I'm on board. Whereas if you're trying to convince your mind to, to say, hey, let's get on board with this, it's kind of a losing battle because you're just basically, you know, it's, it's kind of this just circular conversation with yourself. And now you can write about visualizing writing about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> How much more meta can you get? <laughs> yeah, that is. Uh, and then there are a lot of it, it, it's basically it's like, oh, I'm going to get a lot of work done today. And it's like you spend half your day setting up your desk, you know, yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, I got a lot today. It's like, no, you you got done the act of trying to get work done. Yeah, that's why I got rid of my desk. Um, <laughs> no, I, I agree with what you guys are saying here, because it is um, it's feedback loops kind of going back to some of the stuff that we've done with uh, we've written about with Idea Lemon where. Um, you, it can start with mindset. Mindset dictates a behavior, which then leads to a mindset, which then leads to the behavior again. So if you think about going back to the hangovers, right? Mm-hmm. You come home, you had a bad day. You, you go out with your friends to happy hour. The next day, so like it makes you feel good for the night. The next day, you're hungover. So then the next night, you're like, oh, well, let's you know, hair the dog it and do it again. And then it becomes a feedback loop. It becomes a cycle. And I think that that happens with all of our behaviors. Um, if you wake up early in the morning, you'll actually fall asleep at a, de- at a decent hour at night. But if you sleep in, you'll be up all night. And then it, you won't be able to get up the next morning. And I, it, like, these are the types of things where um, the mindset dictates the initial action. The action leads to a specific result later on, which then allows the original action to happen again. Yeah, I mean, they're all interrelated. Is it just me or do you guys feel like having a drink now? <laughs> <laughs> Is this bad a conversation? <laughs> you know, but, and I actually, I want to throw a third thing into this. Um, environment, actually. Yeah. Because I actually, I almost think it's environment is the starting point, And then that forms a mindset, which then leads to a behavior. And mm-hmm. my specific recent experience with this, uh, as I've been going through, as of this recording anyway, uh, I'm just finishing up yoga teacher training in a couple of days. We just came off of a weekend where it was, it was basically like a weekend in vulnerability training more or less. And because it was like set up front that this is like this weekend, we're going to like really get 
uh, deep within ourselves, like talk about the things we're scared about that we're striving towards all that stuff that enables people to then be like, okay, it's okay to think these certain thoughts and to say these certain things then. And I ended up sharing like a deeply personal story in our, in our training group that I haven't told anyone ever before. And I think that's because the environment that was set up was we welcome those, like we welcome stories like that. We want you to talk about those things. And that says triggers in my mind. Okay. What, like what really is down there that I haven't said or thought of in a while. And then that comes to the surface. Then it's like, okay, I can vocalize this because the group will accept this versus if I told that same story, just like, I don't know, casually at brunch with people. Well, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't have told that story casually at brunch with people or even thought about that story. Yeah. I mean, environment is one of those things like, you know, if you, if you look at it, so like every, I think probably the most profound thing that I ever heard about environment was uh, from this guy named Jim Bunch. He said, you know, think about it this way, like everything that you see, smell, hear, taste, or touch is an environment. And every one of those environments either adds energy to your life or drains energy from your life. And that goes from your physical environment to the people that you deal with, to the way your computer is set up, to the office that you're working in, um, to what you put into your body. Um, All of those things are environments that we interact with on a regular basis. And I think probably the most interesting thing he said to me is that you can't change one environment and not have it affect the others. You know, it goes back to what Martin was saying about sleeping and, and, you know, waking up early um, because all of them are interrelated. So, you know, like you, you start to, it's funny because like, here's an example, right? So you look like shit. So you start working out. Suddenly your self-esteem improves um, and you start to look better. You have way more energy. Suddenly your dating life improves. So now you're like, you've got even more energy. So that energy gets carried into other projects that you're doing. Suddenly your finances start to improve. Like they all kind of create this domino effect. And of course the same thing happens in the reverse. Like let's say one environment in your life is just complete shit. Like it's, it's hard for, you know, um, it's hard for you to basically reach your full potential when there are things and people and situations in your environment that actually drain your energy. And a lot of people have things in their environments that are incredibly draining. Um, so like just a, a very simple example of physical environment. So like the office that I work in, like the room that I, I do all our recording in, like I have this place looking like a million dollar recording studio because I want it to, <coughs> I want it to look like, <coughs> excuse me, who I would be if we were literally making a million dollars a month. So I have like framed prints of our guests, you know, on the wall. And not only that, like you walk into the environment and you feel more creative just because of the way it's set up. Um, It's got a lot of color, like all that stuff. And then that, it it, it is, it's like that cycle or the feedback loop, right? Because then you feel more creative, so you act more creative, which makes you feel more creative. Well, the moment I walk into this room, I know I'm here to do one thing, which is to make things. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, I was actually uh, reflecting on this at improv over the weekend where you've got all these people in a room doing something that's so out there, right? And we all, you know, talk about it, how um, sometimes I'll be like, I'll do something that's, that's like very improv in real life with people who are just my family or my friends, and they're like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> and, uh <laughs> And it's like, oh, right, I'm not in the safe space of improv right now. People don't want me to be weird. Um, And I think that there is something really to be said about um, finding the areas that allow you to grow as well as you're trying to reconcile your behavior and your mindsets Um, and surrounding yourself. So, like, I'm, you know, I'm at Startup Institute right now. This is a boot camp, and it's like everyone here is just intense, intensive learning. And no, it, it's kind of like what my brother said about law school. He's like, in undergrad, um, if you showed up to class and you were like, yeah, I didn't do the homework, everyone would say, yeah, me neither. But in law school, if you showed up to class and someone said, I didn't do the homework, everyone would turn to you and go, why the hell are you in law school then? And it's like, why are you spending the money? Why are you doing all of these things if you're not going to actually put the work in? And I think that's really interesting because these spaces that we put ourselves in, and we've talked, to, I've, I've, you know, shared my opinion on like happy hours and stuff in the past, but they they foster certain conversations and certain environments, which then influence your mindset, which then influence your behavior, which then influences the next environment, and so on and so forth. So. Yeah, I, I think being very strategic about where you place yourself 
is what kind of maybe starts with is is it all kind of circles into each, itself, but the environment really kicks off the mindset, which kicks off the behavior. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And I think also as part of that too, like the law school example or the boot camp example or whatever it might be. Um, I was out with a friend the other night and she was telling me how, um, you know, like on weekends, she, like she, she, she works in video production and she really like enjoys what she does. And she was saying like how on weekends she'll a lot of times like explore different things in videography or she'll like seek out events to go to around videography. And because to her, she's like, it's not my job. It's my craft. And like that's to me when she said that, I was like, that's a huge distinction to make in your mind. If you like something enough, it is no longer a job. It is a craft. And when it, when it gets to the point of being a craft, you will, go out of your way to find things that enable your craft. You will go out of your way to find the things that uh, disable your craft and push them out of your life. And I think just that simple, almost like what, what vocabulary do you use to label certain things changes how you then act. Yeah. And I think now you're, we're tiptoeing into um, the word that encompasses all three pieces of um, your environment, your mindset, and your behavior, which is your lifestyle. So if you take all three pieces and you put them together, that is everything, right? And so she says her craft, and the way I interpret that is, oh, this is my lifestyle. There is no, I start work at this time, I end work at this time. Everything I do, even if it's a conversation with a friend, is part of my craft, which is my life. I like that. Lifestyle is the almost like umbrella term for all this. Um, I'm curious, Srini. So in the stuff that you've done, obviously with writing your book, mm-hmm. um, now you have probably the most atypical lifestyle of anyone I know in that every day involves surfing for a few hours, right? Well, ideally, yes. But, um, <laughs> you know, like the thing with surfing is you're always at the mercy of the conditions, right? Sure. So. But, um, not every day, but you uh, you have the intent to surf at least every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I wake up and that's that's kind of one of those things. Um, I mean, it's funny because so I, I think the the whole lifestyle thing, right, has been a sort of very played out conversation, and like not from the standpoint that you guys are talking about. Like everybody talks about lifestyle design and four hour work weeks and all this n- nonsense, right? Like you know, some of it is great. I think the intention behind some of it is great, but I think in the you know. Um, but it gets buried underneath a lot of like marketing and, and, you know, sort of narratives that we've built that aren't necessarily, uh, productive in my mind. I think what's more interesting to me, uh, is what your friend said about craft, uh, versus a job, right? Like if you look across sort of really, um, not just prolific creators, but people who are good at what they do. I don't think they see it as a job. They see it as a craft. Like they see it as, okay, this is something that I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Like I'm going to wake up every day until the day I die and I'm going to do this thing um, because I'm committed to not, you know, just doing it, but to becoming excellent at it, um, to becoming spectacular at it to the point where uh, people can't help but pay attention to it because it's just that good. And, and so to me, yeah, I mean, all the lifestyle stuff matters. You know, like you can't be a master of your craft and wake up every, you know, hungover every morning. Like that's just never going to happen. Um, but I, I think that one of the things that at least I've found really interesting is um, we've often kind of overlooked the importance of craft uh, and covered it up with a bunch of tactics and marketing and nonsense um, in in the internet world. And what's funny, if you look at what cuts through the noise, you can tell there's a lot of thought that goes into the actual craft of the work. What are some of those things that are getting covered up by the marketing? Well, okay, so um, well, I mean, let's look at podcasts as as one example, and and you know, this is like at a certain point, somebody said, okay, like everybody should start a podcast. It's the year of the podcast, um, and everybody jumps onto these bandwagons, right? And the funny thing is there are people, this is something I said, you know, when I talked with um, Connor Beaton, you know, we're talking about like uh, at Man Talks and we're talking about like different things that people say you should do. Like somebody says, okay, everybody should be on Snapchat, right? Um, Or everybody should start a podcast. Now, there are certain people 
like the example I gave before was like Seth Godin does a daily blog. Do you really want Seth to stop doing his daily blog so he can focus on, you know, creating a podcast or being on Snapchat? Probably not. Like and so what happens as a result is you've got people who have like this exceptional talent at one thing and then, you know, some person who has some semblance of authority says, oh, yeah, everybody should do this. So that person who has that talent at that one thing hops on the bandwagon, they deny the talent in the thing that they have, and then they just keep adding noise to the world. And as a result, they actually deny the possibility of mastery. Yeah, and that that kind of sets us into this. This came up a little bit in a conversation that will be released after this episode, actually, <laughs> um, where we talked a lot about, um, you know, the internet marketing world or, you know, the online business world and the culture of sameness that's created by it. And, you know, it's a world we've, we have proactively decided to step out of for the most part, but, um, it's kind of like what you say a lot of times, Srini, it's like advice is a compass, not a blueprint or not a map. Um, and it's, this is what starts to happen. Someone does it really well and says, I have all the secrets. Yeah. So, and then what, but then what happens is, People, to your point about the mastery, people are afraid to take steps forward without having that blessing from, you know, whatever authoritative figure. And they just continue to just follow directions instead of follow or act on intuition or really think critically about their own, you know, their own craft. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Go ahead, Martin. Sorry. Well, and just to add to it, um, one of the things that uh, happened to me earlier this year is when I was planning out my goals and I was like putting a whiteboard together of all the things I wanted to accomplish and learn in the next year, I remember making this really long list. And I might have already talked about this on one of the other podcast episodes, but it was like, I want to get really good at podcasting, video, uh, you know, social, blah, blah, blah. I had all these things written up on this list, uh, writing and all this other stuff. And one day I was looking at it and I was getting overwhelmed because I'm like, oh my God, these are so many different skills that I have to learn uh, on a daily basis. And I was like, I'm getting to some, I'm not getting to others. And then I just took a step back and I said, what is the one thing that I really, really want to master? What is the one skill, regardless of any of the executions, that this is all leading toward? Mm -hmm. And what it came down to was communication. And I just said, all right, cross out all of the individual tactics and just put the one skill that you want to get amazing at, not just this year, but forever, is communication. And so right now, today, it's a podcast, but it's really the conversation. And then, you know, after this, I'm going to be in a meeting or I'm going to be talking to someone or I'm going to be going to an event later. And it's all about communication, whether it's in person, whether it's on the phone, whether it's on a podcast, whether it's online or in a video, it just is communication. And if I can focus on that, then I know I'm practicing it, even if it's in different tactics at different times, because the basic skill is what is being practiced each time. Is that kind of what you guys are getting at? Yeah, I think that's that's a fair way of looking at it. I think, um, yeah, it, that's, not, that's not necessarily what I was getting at with what I was saying with the pursuit of the craft. Well, in in a way, it is. <laughs> but pursuit of the craft, yes. The uh, the point I was, the little rant I went on just now, it, not not so much that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think your rant is is valid. Um, like there's there's no question that 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 it's valid. Um, yeah, I mean, and that that like it just you got to wonder at some point like okay somebody like you said it's like hey i figured it out i've got all the secrets and now i'm going to share the secrets and you know the secret is i'm going to share the secrets with you and you'll share the secrets with somebody else because now you've acquired them like yeah you know it it almost feels like a pyramid scheme i was was just about to say it's similar to a pyramid scheme (laughs) um what do you consider srini to be your craft I think I'm, my craft is really storytelling. Um, like interviews happens to be the form in which most of my stories come out. But I mean, you guys have seen our work. It's, it's also taken on multiple forms outside of interviewing, right? Um, like, you know, our interviews have been translated into animated shorts. You know, we've written books, we've produced events. Uh, but I, I think the underlying thread um, behind all of it is this sort of theme of, of using technology to tell stories. Yeah. And I, for me, my, I consider my craft to be the same as storytelling. Um, like podcast is one example. Blogging is another. Uh, making hip hop music is another. And even 
uh, yoga teaching. I consider that a form of storytelling. Um, but in the interest of Martin, as we were having dinner the other night, what I said, I want to continue to push on for myself is entertaining the possibility that I'm wrong. Um, is that like, like as of right now, I think it's enough to say storytelling is my craft, but is that enough or does it need to be more defined than that? Um, here's the thing, right? Like, I don't know that it needs to be more defined based on, you know, where you guys are at in the trajectory of, of, you know, what you're working on. So like, I can say this now after eight years, I wouldn't have told you that at the beginning, um, of, of doing all of this. Like it would have been a very different answer. I don't know what the answer would have been, um, at that time, but like, so, you know, the thing is like, we all have labels that we identify with. And, and the, the, the interesting thing is as you evolve and as you grow, you start to see each label, not as, um, something that you identify with, but as a limitation. And so each time you shed a label, like your capacity becomes much more expansive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a good point on it. It's uh, nomenclature could essentially just be anything, but it's, it's mm-hmm. a matter of how do you then act upon it, whatever you're calling it. What are yeah. some of the previous labels that you guys have had that have led you to this point? So let's see, blogger, podcaster, uh, marketer, um, speaker, author, all of those at one point or another. What was the moment that you realized that you can merge them all together into the storyteller? Um, I think probably, I think meeting AJ Leon was probably one of those moments for me. It was kind of like, okay, here's this guy who happens to have an online platform. But I mean, the, the, you know, like he really was more into anything, an artist who happened to use, you know, um, everything at his disposal to basically make art out of everything. You know, like an event became an art project. Um, an ebook becomes an art project. Like every one of those things is no longer just what it's traditionally seen as, but something far more expansive. You know, like basically he's practically inventing categories. Um, what, 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 you know, like if you look at it, um, what I saw was somebody who basically looked at expectations and what the standard expectations were from certain things and um, the you know consistency to defy those ex- expectations on a regular basis with everything that you know you do like you know so for example we did something crazy when we did an event we custom illustrated every name tag somebody said to me like nobody's ever going to throw those away and I said I know that's the whole point um, you know like so to me it, it's it was seeing him you know sort of continually defy expectations mm-hmm. and I just I found that inspiring. My moment was probably a little over a year ago. Actually, I emailed Martin. I emailed you and uh, Ben Austin. And I had this like spreadsheet where I was like, I literally listed out what's everything important that I have done or that I'm doing now. And it was just like a column for creating stories and another column for consuming stories. And like 95% of it was creation of stories. Um, and I, I don't know how I got to the word stories of all things, but I just remember having some inflection point where I was like, everything that I care about, I'm either creating or consuming a version of a story, or at least that's how I see it um, down to, as I like to joke, but it's also for real uh, down to the point of in porno, I got to know what the setup is before they start fucking. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds time consuming. <laughs> So, so that's out there now. <laughs> and we'll just leave a bit of silence <laughs> for that to sink in. <laughs> um, in the writing of your book, Srini, um, obviously there's a lot that went into that in terms of getting from, well, let me take it to this point. In terms of words. Yeah, in terms of words. <laughs> but let me get, let me take it to this point. Um, you have a book that well, it's actually it's out the day after this episode airs and actual like major penguin publishing, right? Mm-hmm. You did not start seven, eight years ago with the idea or the intent of a book deal with penguin. I assume. No. Um, how did your mindset change along that journey? And like, when did you get to the point where you were like, wait, I could actually get a book deal. Wow. Um, okay. So the, the, there's a lot of answers to your question. Uh, this is this is a really complex question. Um, well, well, first, you're right. I mean, I, I think if you start out with the intention of something that you have no control over, you're fucked. Like that's all there is to it. Um, so, like, you know, I 
honestly, don't get me wrong, the idea had crossed my mind. Like that was one of the things that I thought was inspiring about it. I was like, oh wow, like I was seeing all these people, you know, start online projects that were leading to things like book deals. And I thought, well, you know, maybe. Um, I don't think I, I was you like and of course, like from the outside looking in, that's how it appears, right? It's like, oh my God, this person had this crazy story, started a blog and got found, and you know, now he's you know being published by a major publishing house. Of course, you know, like eight years later, I'm like, oh, that's how long it's gonna take. <laughs> <laughs> so um I think the the couple of things that that changed mindset wise, you know, one I think was a work ethic. Um, like I didn't have it in the beginning. I it's not that I wasn't always disciplined and committed to it, but the thing is that often uh, people want these things, but they're not ready for them. Like I, with the habits, the disciplines, with the knowledge, with the experience that I had at the beginning. Um, I wouldn't have been able to write the book that I did. Um, I wouldn't have even been able to write the book that I did two years ago. Uh, like, because like, you know, I had way more interviews under my belt. I had way more books read under my belt, like experience. So like there's a hidden danger to fast success that people don't think about. And that is that it's often followed by a fast fall. Like you've seen this over and over again, especially when some like, you know, uh, person has something go viral very unexpectedly. The thing is that that kind of stuff doesn't mean shit if you don't follow it up with something, Right. So, you know, we're talking about a book, but like what's coming right behind this is another book. Like I'm already starting work on it and this one hasn't even been on, you know, like isn't even on shelves yet. Um, it will be, you know, the day after people listen to this, but like that's, you know, it's momentum, which, you know, I've talked to you guys about. So that's one. Um, but then there's another thing here, and you know, I was just writing about this. So, like, you know, many people have heard Seth Godin mention this idea of rejecting the tyranny of being picked, right? Uh, and he said it years ago. Uh, you know, stop waiting to be picked. And so there's this really odd paradox of be the, the there's a paradox of waiting to be picked. It's that, you know, like you see people like despite knowing this, like people still think, okay, you know what? Like when I get picked by a publisher, then my work will be worthy of putting out into the world. When a major Hollywood, uh, you know, movie director decides to cast me, I'm a worthwhile actor or I'm a worthwhile filmmaker when a production studio acquires my script. And, you know, it goes on and on and on and on and on. But what's interesting is the paradox of it, right? The paradox is that all those things happen when you no longer need them. Um, when you finally say, okay, you know what, I'm done. I'm done waiting to be picked. I'm done waiting for somebody to approve. Uh, like for me to get to the book deal, it started with a self-published book that did really well. Um, and so nobody told me that, okay, you've been picked, you've been validated. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I, like at this point, if you get the opportunity, by all means, yes, you should do it. The problem is I think... Most people wait thinking that the opportunity is a permission slip. And the opportunity is not the permission slip. You have to do that for yourself uh, before the opportunity shows up. Um, so I, I think the the sort of bigger shift in my mindset um, has been like just keep chugging away. You know, like I, I think one other thing that changed pretty drastically um, in the last few years. So, you know, the first time I, I went through it, you know, with the whole Glenn Beck saga and the, the book becoming a, a, you know, Wall Street Journal bestseller, like all this craziness, there were these like just sort of highs and lows, right? Like it was like this epic high. And then, you know, like today, you know, we, we sent out the first pre-launch email and, you know, the first time I got the book and like all those highs and lows are kind of not there. It's like, cool, time to get back to work. Like, because I think the, the, like what, this is probably one of the best things that I ever heard on an interview. It was from Tucker Max um, after his book had sold millions of copies. And he said, success gives you the conditional opportunity to try again. And so what it does when you get an opportunity to do this is it facilitates the ability to keep doing the work that you want to do. And that's really the great reward that comes from it. I think that is the big mindset shift that has to occur because in my mind, until you get to that point, um, you're always chasing something, right? So like you guys have read the book, so you know that I, I quoted Ed Helms, who uh, is the nerdy guy in the Hangover movies. And you know when he was asked in an interview uh, by this, this guy named Sam Jones, who's a celebrity photographer, you know, what's it like to be so famous that you're recognized on the streets wherever you go? He said that life is a series of false horizons. So you're not like that's a big thing that changed. You know, like I used to think it was going to be this moment where you feel like you've made it. And you get to the moment and you're like, okay, that does, you like, I, like the work doesn't stop. In fact, like I have more work now than I did before. 
Um, but that's what you wanted, right? Like you wanted to be able to spend your life doing this work and now you're getting to. Okay. So I don't know if that makes any sense. Those are really I, long. I, 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 I love because that. You guys went into all yeah. that stuff. <laughs> and really like, you know, you've put in, and, and we really need to stress how many hours and how much you've written to get to this point. And I think the reason that it's like, okay, now let's keep going is because you know how much work it took to get here. You can't rest on your laurels. And I think, you know, success is relative, right? Yeah. Like every moment of success, and we've talked about this a lot in the past, it's like every time we hit a seeming milestone, we're already thinking five steps beyond that. And we're like, oh, no, that milestone was something (laughs) like it's great that we achieved it, but we're already on to the next thing that we need to get done. And, yeah, it's it just everything becomes relative at a certain point. Yeah, I mean, if you look at all all the people that you know, like I've interviewed, I mean, it, it's kind of like there's a certain point where Tim Ferriss could sit around doing nothing, but he's not. You know? mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I think I'd be bored out of my mind if I were sitting around doing nothing. Yeah, because it takes a certain it takes that certain mindset and that certain uh, hustle to get to the point of of that success. And if you ha- if you're the type of person who's built that type of craft, uh, then you're not going to want to stop that craft because we've built those systems. We've built those habits. You don't want to, like going back to what you said earlier, Raj, like, you know, you're going to keep the meditation practice going every day because we've conditioned ourselves for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, and also to like the point of like Tim Ferriss is still working. That's where like all this stuff put out online. That's like, you know, I only work two hours a day from the beach. It's like, okay, the pe- the people who are fortunate enough to get to that point, they work more than everyone else. Yeah, I would say so. And, and then the other thing you got to consider, right, is you're you're also getting an incredibly curated, edited version of everybody's life. Yeah. And that's a whole other can of worms that we could dive into. I mean, just I think it's really hard to see past that. You know, like I, like Ryan Holiday told me, he said, you know, if you're using that as sort of your basis for comparison, that's a recipe for insanity. Like you'll drive yourself insane. Like so, I I use this thing called the Facebook Newsfeed Obliterator, and it's obnoxious because I have no idea what's going on with anybody. Um, and it's not that I don't care what's going on with anybody. It's that I know myself well enough to know that if I scroll through the newsfeed, um, something in it will, will trigger me or make me depressed. And I'm kind of like, yeah, you know, like I, I, I started looking back and doing an analysis of my gratitude journal and I was like, oh my God, like every day, you know how the, in the five minute journal, there's this thing that says, how could you have made today better? I would say out of 150 entries, the overwhelming majority says, say spent less time on Facebook. <laughs> like, I mean, the amount of entries that I have said that in, I was like, that's telling, you know? I always joke too, like, you never hear someone say like, oh, I had the best day ever today. I spent three hours on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, you'll never hear anybody say that. <laughs> it's not like, yeah, I, I summited Mount Kilimanjaro and then I was on Facebook the rest of the day. <laughs> exactly. It's like, you know, uh, like I, I talked to this one guy who said, you know, like sometimes we get so caught up in documenting our lives, we're not actually living them. Right. Right. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. There are so in in the long response you gave a few minutes ago, there are actually yeah. there are four key points you brought up that I for like the first time in probably forty five something podcast episodes I actually wrote down something while someone was talking because uh, it was that insightful. That's this, good to know. So I provided <laughs> to, some value at least to all our previous uh, guests. You have said nothing insightful. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the first thing was that it's following up with something. You don't just do something once and that's it. No. Or, you know, it's, it's following up with something. I actually uh, I had a crazy like geek out moment a couple nights ago. I met the art director of Mortal Kombat. Like oh, the, wow. like the guy who created Sub-Zero. <laughs> I was talking to him. That's uh, so cool. Yeah. And we you know, we were talk we talked for like 10-15 minutes and I was asking about like the game and everything and um how how much of a break they take in between games. And he said, no, he's like, once the game ships, it's 18 months in the next game ships. So like once it hits the shelves, we're working on the next, the follow-up game that comes out. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you give yourself a second to celebrate, right? Like it's not like you don't ever celebrate your, your wins or whatever, but, but then it's like, like you said, the Tucker Max thing, it's like, all right, this gives us the opportunity to do it again and do it better. Not, Not to do nothing moving forward. Exactly. 
and with even with that, like with something like that, that's a video game franchise. You've created something that people want more of too. Mm-hmm. Like no, I, I don't foresee at least in the near future people getting tired of more guts and gore coming out of that video game. <laughs> no, I would imagine it's going to get better. <laughs> yeah, and like when they add virtual reality, and that'll be a whole another uh, ball yeah. game. It's already terrifying. <laughs> Uh, the other thing you talked about was the idea, uh, the Seth Godin idea of waiting to be picked. Um, yeah. Another thing that that's very in line with that that came out of my last weekend of yoga training was uh, the the three words that we looked at were do, have, and be. Mm-hmm. We often say, if I do this, then I will have that. Yeah. And that's a mindset that traps you. We can also say, once I have this, then I can do that. So once I yeah. have a million dollars, then I'll finally be able to do that thing I've been talking about. And that's also a trap. But the only thing that's not a trap out of those three words is be. Mm-hmm. If I just if I be this or if you say I am this, you can start doing the things that will encourage that behavior or that activity. The third point was opportunity is not the permission slip. Can you actually just uh, elaborate on that again? Yeah. So the thing is that like people are sitting around waiting for opportunity to knock on their door, right? But opportunity isn't uh, a permission slip to do this thing to say, okay, now that we've given you the opportunity, you have permission to write a book. Um, now that we've given you this opportunity, you have permission to make a movie or produce a film. You know, like if you if you look at the world that we live in today, um, what's interesting is like all of this is becoming cheaper, easier and faster to do. Uh, so like, I'll, I'll give you another you know, example. So I, I was at a friend's house and he had a, a friend from high school over there who uh, is into drone cameras. And I was like, this is fucking weird. This is some really like type, you know, techno geek shit. I'm like, and then he showed me the video that he made using the drone camera. And it was from his vacation in Costa Rica. I was like, oh my God. I'm like, this thing looks like the opening sequence to a Hollywood film. Mm-hmm. Um, and he shot it with a drone camera using his iPad. <laughs> like, huh. So you've got basically this situation where all the sort of um, barriers that exist between your creative ideas and the technology to make them happen is becoming, you know, sort of like non-existent. Like those barriers are going away. Um, all the distribution channels are, are things that you have access to. Um, and, you know, you're seeing a fundamental shift in the economics of all of these things. Like, you know, like it's not that publishers come to some unknown author who hasn't done anything. It's more like, oh, you have a platform. We think you've got a shot at selling books. Uh, so, like, you haven't waited to get this off. Op- like, so the opportunity to do those things is not the permission slip to actually start doing them is what basically I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And and that's, yeah. And I, I really like that. And I was just, as, as you were saying that, what I was thinking of was like all the things that I've really enjoyed doing in my life and have had quote unquote opportunities arise out of them. Like nearly all of them have come from like just doing it cause you enjoy it. And mm-hmm. then some, you know, some fruits being born out of that. Not like you said, not waiting for, okay, once that happens, then I can do whatever exactly. that thing might be. And that's yeah. a huge thing, Martin, that we've stressed a ton with a lot of people over the last six, seven months, probably last year, is this like we, I, concept of waiting for permission to do something, like, you, like, like needing the blessing of someone else almost. Yeah, that happens a lot when people are looking for jobs. They're like, I really want to work at that company so that I can do this type of work. And I'm like, how about you do this type of work, then go talk to the company and say, hey, I'm already doing this. Let me do it with you so that we can make a bigger impact. And that's the biggest difference. If you go in saying, let me do this, they're going to say, why aren't you doing this already? You have the internet. We all have the ability to do whatever we want to do. So start doing it, then bring it to someone, and then have a bigger impact. And I think with that, too, a lot of times people won't take that step forward because they think there's something wrong about if it's not like making money then you shouldn't be doing your time with it or on the flip side if they do want to make money off of it they think there's something wrong in making money off of what you enjoy yeah i so the whole money thing that's like we could do two hours on that um (laughs) i i think you know i'll recommend a book that i think everybody should read that has really made a big difference for me to think about uh, money it's um, it's called No BS Wealth Attraction, and it's by Dan Kennedy. And um, it'll be offensive to some of some of the people who actually pick it up. But if you can kind of look past how offensive it is and kind of really consider the points that he's making, 
like they're they're valid, you know. Like the idea, like I, I think one of the most interesting points that he made in that book was that you know, you getting as much money out of possible as somebody who pays you for the work you've done, is that obnoxious, ambitious, and greedy, or is that just being a smart business person? Like, <laughs> you know, like and so we have a we have a big problem, um, especially in sort of the creative space of money being this thing that oh it, it's bad it's you know it's and it's not you know like the reality is you should get paid. Right. Um, and if you can, you should get paid handsomely and you should charge appropriately. Yeah. And yeah. And it's, yeah, I, I don't know what, what that stems from. And perhaps, uh, you know, I'm, I've got that book now written down. Maybe after reading that, I'll have a better idea, but it's almost like we're somehow cheating the system by, by, by making money off of what we enjoy or we haven't paid our dues or something like that. No, I mean, like, if you, like, the thing is, you know, you, you can't neglect that. If you're running a business, you're not running a business unless it's making money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a great way to put it. The, the fourth point you made from before was the highs and lows thing. Um, yeah. And that, I think, is a, that's a huge point to make. And the fact that once you start doing something, your expectations change. So... Like I remember a year and a half ago, I was interviewed on someone and someone's podcast for the first time ever. And I thought it was like the coolest thing in the world. And I shared it with like everyone. And then by the end of last year, being interviewed on other podcasts became a commonplace activity in Martin and I's lives Mm -hmm. to where it wasn't like, oh man, this podcast reached out. Amazing. Right. And not that you're not thankful, but it's just that like the bar gets raised. Right. Yeah, And I remember yeah. a long time ago thinking like, man, do some of these people who are like super famous ever look back and be like, how did I get here? And then as I've just learned more, I'm like, no, they probably don't because you don't like, you know, once someone, let's say, like starts playing, selling out Madison Square Garden, like a musician, right? It's like that was the next logical step forward from whatever happened right before that. They don't look at it as like, oh, I was playing like this crappy nightclub and then Madison Square Garden happened. It was... I was playing like the giant venue two blocks down the street and then Madison Square Garden happened. So it's just, you just, you compare it to what was the most like recent win essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it's the most logical progression. Like you don't go from, you know, um, like, like a nightclub to do selling out Madison Square Garden. You, you know, if you've ever seen the documentary, never say never, um, with Justin Bieber, which believe it or not is, is surprisingly good. Um, like it's literally this kid who is working his ass off, you know, like hundreds of shows to get to Madison Square Garden. Does it go through his, uh, personal struggles in the documentary? It's it's the early Justin Bieber. So the, I, there's a new one, but it, this is like teeny bopper Justin Bieber. Now there's you know like drug addicted, you know weed smoking Justin Bieber. I'm sure there's a documentary about that too. But um, <laughs> is it too late to drug- say sorry? The documentary. <laughs> Not- yeah, maybe it, it is. I don't know. Like I I don't know what's like. I will say this: Never Say Never is a worthwhile documentary to watch. I learned a lot from watching that. All right. <laughs> okay, we need to wrap up uh, before we do. Shrini, uh, you've just put out an amazing book um, that I have already recommended to people to read. Um, Let us know about it and where our listeners can find it, et cetera. Okay. So it's called unmistakable. Why only is better than best. Um, It uh, really, what we've done is we've looked at this entire concept of unmistakable uh, and dissected it like to, you know, to the nth degree, like looking at it through the lens of artists, looking at it through the lens of business people, looking at it through the lens of pastors and kind of, you know, blending my own experience and insights, uh, and also the things that I've learned from 700 interviews and putting it into a book. It's all organized in surf metaphors. Um, and you know, as I like to say, it's not a compass or it's not a map, it's a compass, but, uh, like the amount of artwork that went into it, like the physical copy is really, really cool. Like our friend Mars Dorian did some amazing illustrations for it. Um, it's available August 2nd. You can buy it in bookstores. Uh, there's an audio version as well and a Kindle version as well. And if you want to learn more about uh, pre-order bonuses, uh, you can go to unmistakablecreative.com slash book. And you also have an amazing podcast that is alluded to yes. in the book uh, as well. Yeah. Yeah, so um, the unmistakable creative is is uh, unmistakablecreative.com is where you can find out like about all of our work. Awesome, cool. Yeah, and again, I'll give my glowing endorsement of the book and let everyone know that there's a point like halfway through where it just like 
shit turns up and I got to that point. I was planning on reading that day for 20 minutes. I ended up clearing my entire afternoon to finish the book because it was that damn good. So kudos to you, sir. Thank you. Well, I, I really appreciate that, especially coming from you guys. I've, you know, it's, it's been a real blast to, uh, to work with you guys and kind of see you know, where you guys have taken this project. Thank you. All right. Now, to wrap up, we will go one by one, starting with Martin. Uh, Srini, you'll go last. Uh, Martin, given our conversation today, what's your answer for what is the relationship between mindset and behavior? Uh, I think keeping in mind the feedback loop uh, that we talked about earlier and knowing how everything plays into uh, how your mindset plays into your behavior, how your behavior plays into your environment, how your environment plays into everything else. Um, if you keep an eye on all of these things and you, you really say like, this is how I'm going to live my life. Not this is how I'm going to, you know, work from this hour to this hour of the day. Um, but you embrace it as like your craft and you say, this is what I want to accomplish and here I'm going to dedicate myself to it, dedicate myself to this mindset, dedicate myself to this behavior, dedicate myself to these environments, your growth will be exponential. My answer for what's the relationship between mindset and behavior, uh, very similar to that. I think uh, it's like that, I think it's that, it starts with that wild card of environment and the environment shapes the mindset, which then uh, guides the behavior. Srini, what's the relationship between mindset and behavior? Um, I think, you know, uh, if we go back, you know, we come full circle now, like to me, your behavior actually creates your mindset. So like every time you change a habit and every time you start changing your behavior, um, it basically creates this ripple effect and it becomes a sort of self-reinforcing thing. And so as you change the behavior, the mindset inevitably changes. So like you don't, you, you know, you don't wake up, think, okay, I'm going to become a person who writes a thousand words a day. You start writing a thousand words a day and you, you, you know, next thing you know, you are that person. You know, the beautiful part of our podcast is that there are no right answers. <laughs> and these are all yeah, valid points. Yeah, really are. <laughs> Srini, this was a fun uh, fun hour of talking to you. Thanks for coming back on our show. And, um, Always. Thanks, for, uh, thanks and, for having me back. And for inspiring us in the first place. This, yeah. this, all, this all goes back to your podcast. So thank you so much. Well, that, that's really cool to hear. All right. We'll catch you soon. Sweet. That wrapped up our conversation with Srini Vas Rao. Srini. Thank you so much for joining us for a second time on the show. It is always a pleasure when we get together and get to have some deep, insightful conversations. Did you, the listener, enjoy this episode? If so, the best compliment you can give us is a rating and review on iTunes and subscribing to the show. Ratings and reviews and subscriptions help more people find the show, and thus, the Discover Your Inner Awesome message gets spread. Now, as Srini mentioned at the end of the conversation, he's got an amazing new book out. It is called Unmistakable, Why Only is Better Than Best. And once again, I cannot recommend this book enough. Uh, Martin and I were fortunate enough to get advanced copies of it and read through it. And it is truly one of the best books that I have ever read in my adult life. So go to unmistakablecreative.com slash book for information on ordering it, as well as pre-order bonuses you can scoop up there. For full show notes, references, and resources discussed in this episode, we have them all listed at idealemon.com. Our Season 5 theme song is coming to you from a fantastic group out of Chicago known as Chicago Loud 9. This song is entitled After Party. We actually had the Chicago Loud 9 lead MC on our show back in Season 1, if you go back to the episode with Don D. You can check out this song and all of Chicago Loud 9's amazing body of work at www.chicagoloud9.com Alright, Season 5 is officially underway and we are so excited to bring you even more episodes this season with amazing guests and exciting, insightful conversations. That will do it for this one. Thank you again to Srinivas Rao for joining us. For Martin McGovern, I am Rajiv Nathan. You have been listening to Idea Lemon's Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. We will catch you next time, but in the meantime, take care. And be awesome today.